beginning a series. It's a new year. And we're beginning a series about everyday worship. The Bible is primarily focused on one topic. That one topic is God. From beginning to end, the Bible, His Word, is about God. God is revealed as Creator. He's revealed as a relational God who relates to His creation. He's revealed as holy. He's revealed as the judge. He's revealed as a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. He's revealed as provider and he's revealed as redeemer and those are just a select few of his characteristics. I think secondly, Beyond the Bible being about God, and when I say God, I mean God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, the Trinity. Beyond being about God, the Bible is a book about worship. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about worship. And over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into biblical texts between Genesis and Revelation and discover and hopefully have a better understanding of how our desires should be for worshiping God. Last year about this time, we started a series about prayer. And if you're thinking about building a house, I would say our faith is much like the blueprint of a house. It gives us the schematics of what the house is supposed to look like. Prayer, I would say, is like the foundation of the house. It's absolutely integral to your faith. Prayer is the foundation. But beyond that, I would say worship is like the framework of the house. It gives structure to our faith. How we're practicing our faith quite often is seen through how we worship. The foundation is meant to have the framework placed upon it. It's not just meant to have faith and prayer, but there is also more to it building upon in our worship. And I think worship bolsters and adds to our prayer life in the fact that it gives our faith structure. I think prayer can be a part of worship, and I think worship can be a part of prayer. They're joined together. If you lose one, you're, you're going to not have as fruitful of a life in the other. If you start in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Most people, when they start reading their Bible, you start at the beginning, Genesis 1.1. You learn first about God, that God is creator. But there's more to it than God just being a creator. In the book of Job, we learn a lot about God in the book of Job. working today? I think you're up, Brian. I think you're going to have to do it for me. The next slide there, the book of Job. In the book of Job, uh, many of you know the story about Job. Uh, Job loses everything, and he has three friends that kind of come over to console him. And in his grief of losing his family and his, his wealth and his servants and losing everything, the three friends come over, and the one thing they get right when they come to Job is they just sit with him for a week. They're silent. They should have stopped there. They should have just stayed silent and they would have been fine, but then they start trying to justify why God might be doing what he's doing and none of them know who, why God was doing what he was doing or what exactly was happening. But at one point in the book of Job, God responds to Job in his suffering and in his misery. And in Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, it enlightens Genesis chapter 1. God says this to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Genesis 1.1. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? He says, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What's happening in, Genesis, or in Job chapter 38 verse 7 is there is worship that God is telling us about that happened in Genesis 1 verse 1. The morning stars are singing together. The sons of God are shouting for joy. They're having their own little worship service. I think before humanity was even created, day one, God spoke, and all of a sudden the music started. The worship service begins. What a call to worship it was. In Psalm chapter 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. God's creation started in Genesis 1 verse 1, but it continues on to declare the glory of God. David writes in Psalm 19 that creation continues to proclaim who God is. You go to the New Testament and the crowds are shouting as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Blessed is the king. Jesus is entering the city, riding on a donkey. The Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke these disciples who are shouting this. And Jesus proclaims these words. It's from Luke chapter 19. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I think Jesus was saying if they weren't saying something, God would make these stones start talking to us. They'd start singing. They'd start proclaiming who God is. They would worship the creator. See, from the moment God first spoke light into existence, dust into existence, the stars, the heavens, the planets, the plants, the animals, and people into existence, they were created to bring him honor. On the other end of the spectrum, we can go to the book of Revelation. Turn your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation, it doesn't take too long. John is the author. We just went through 1 John not too long ago. John is the author. John, Jesus' disciple, he's banished to the island of Patmos, and it's there that he has this vision that God gives to him, and he just starts writing down what he's told to write, what he sees, what he witnesses. And it doesn't take long to get into the book before we all are, are, we come in contact with worship. We are confronted by worship. Revelation chapter 1. John is told to write down these things that he sees and put them in a book. And in verse 12, he says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Who was that voice? That was Jesus. But it wasn't like he'd seen Jesus before. This is Jesus that he traveled three years with. This is Jesus that was his friend that he sat next to. He describes Jesus, and then at the end in verse 17, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He falls down and worships. And then in chapter 4, we're confronted with this heavenly scene of worship. And we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the chapter because I think it all gives us a good context of what's happening. After this, after John is given these words to the seven churches in Asia, churches that he probably was writing to when he wrote the book of 1 John, after this John writes, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. 
And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. You see, what John is doing here is he's seeing things that he has no real way of explaining. So he's taking earthly things and saying, well, it kind of looked like jasper and carnelian, and this kind of looked like emerald because everything is so pure up in heaven. We really don't have good descriptions for it here on earth, and so he's trying to describe what he's seeing. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were the 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. Again, he's trying to take things that he knows and give us an idea of what these look like. And he says, in the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. What's the vision John is giving us here? There are four creatures and continually they are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And that's happening day and night. It never stops. And it says every time they say that, the 24 elders who are surrounding the throne lay down and cast their crowns before the throne. And they say, worthy are you our Lord and God, verse 11, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The simplest definition of the term worship is worth-ship. It's ascribing worth to something. The person we are honoring is worthy of that honor. And that's exactly what the 24 elders are declaring. Verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. 
God is worthy to receive all glory and honor and power, and they give us the reason. It's a simple reason why he's worthy. End of verse 11. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Why is God worthy? Because everything here, God created, other than sin. We brought that into the world. But everything God created, God is the only being who can take nothing and speak, and all of a sudden, ah, there it is. There's something. Now, man can do some stuff with some stuff. We can make some nice wood furniture. We can build buildings. We can do all sorts of stuff, but we have to use stuff to make more stuff. But God can take absolutely nothing and make something. Later in the book of Revelation, turn over a little bit to Revelation chapter 15. Again, John is describing this scene in verse 2. He says, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. They're playing music. Verse 3, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Notice here that there are some worship songs that are going to last for a really long time. They're singing a song of Moses. I don't know about the songs we have. I don't know if some of those are sung in heaven. Great is thy faithfulness. Amazing grace, how sweet the song sound. Are those songs being sung in heaven? I don't know, but there are songs. When Moses wrote his song, did he know this is going to be sung at the end? But there are songs that are going to last for eternity. Second, you can see all nations are going to come and worship as God's actions are revealed. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 9, you can go to that next slide there, Brian. Paul makes this statement, declaring that Jesus has this place of honor. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Why? Because we know in, before in Philippians 2, Paul talks all about Jesus humbling himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day when everyone will proclaim it. They won't have a choice. He will be there in front of him, and they will either in fear proclaim, He is Lord. What have I done? Or they will proclaim in praise, He is Lord. And every tongue's going to confess that. Because there will be no question about who He is. So I took you through thousands of years of history, Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation. And I want to talk about five facts about worship this morning. And the first one is this. God is the only one worthy of our worship. God is the only one worthy of our worship. God brings the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They've been enslaved there for more than 400 years. God sends Moses and Aaron. Moses brings the ten plagues. And finally, after the tenth one, Pharaoh says, get out of here. I can't take this anymore. Pharaoh changes his mind. After they leave, he sends his army after them. We know the miracle that happens at the Red Sea. Moses stands there and after instructions from God, he lifts up his staff and the sea is parted. The people cross through. They get to Mount Sinai and they begin to worship God. The Bible tells us that Moses goes up and he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And one of the commandments that Moses is given by God, Exodus chapter 20 verse 3, says this, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods. Why? Because God is the only one worthy of their worship. But what happens on Mount Sinai? I said Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. The people get tired of waiting for Moses to come down. And they say, I think God's abandoned us. I think Moses is dead. We need to do our own thing here. Bring all your gold. We're going to make an image that we will worship. It doesn't take five minutes and they've broken the first commandment. They just saw God do miraculous things. We were looking at it this morning with the teens in Exodus. And it says they had faith in God after they crossed over. They had Faith in Moses as their leader. Now all of a sudden they lost faith again. But God commands you shall have no other gods 
before me. Psalm 100, one of the psalms of worship, it says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Who are we to make a joyful noise to? The Lord. Say it with me. Who are we to make a joyful noise to? The Lord. It's very clear who we're supposed to be worshiping. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus quotes this in the New Testament. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It doesn't say love God and some other things you can worship and do it kind of half-heartedly. It doesn't say that. It says love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The second fact about worship is worship is eternal. We saw that. It started at Genesis 1, verse 1, and it goes on into eternity. I think that's going to be part of our job description when we get to heaven. We're all going to be worshipers. That's part of our job description now as Christians. We're all to be worshipers. And worship is an eternal thing. We're worshiping now. We're going to be worshiping into eternity. There's constant worship happening in heaven. It's happening 24-7, 365 days or 366 days on a leap year. It's happening continually. This worship of God in heaven. There's never a break. You would think the 24 elders would get tired of the kneeling and the... But no, there's never a break. They're continually worshiping him. Third, humanity is designed for worship. There's an author who talks about humanity was designed with a God-shaped hole. And so often we try to fill that with everything but God. Humanity is designed for worship. The Westminster Catechism says this about worship. They ask the question, what is the chief end of man? What is our chief purpose? What is our chief goal? And they answer it by saying this, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. To glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. Psalms 86 verses 9 and 10 says it this way, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. 
O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. All the nations are going to come and worship him. Humanity is designed for worship. But it didn't take long for that design to be polluted, and that takes us to our fourth point. Satan desires to pollute the worship of God. We know it started in heaven when he decided that he could be like God, and he was cast out of heaven. He comes in the Garden of Eden, and he starts speaking to Eve, and it doesn't take long for perfect worship to be polluted. Adam and Eve choose to place their worship in something besides God. They place their worship in a lie, in a message, in a snake, in themselves, just not in God. They choose to believe Satan, the deceiver, who places doubt into their minds. Warren Wiersbe says this about that situation. He says, when Satan tempted our first parents, his appeal was centered on worship. His approach was to question God's word. Has God indeed said? Deny God's word. You will not surely die and then substitute his own promise. You will be like God. And he still uses this strategy today. Why? Because it still works. Satan's not going to use a strategy that doesn't work. He still uses this approach of questioning God's word, denying God's word, and then substituting his own promises. Satan doesn't care what we are worshiping as long as it is not God. Satan doesn't care what we're worshiping. We can worship ourselves. We can worship a building. We can worship our stuff. We can worship other people. Why is it called American Idol? Because there are people worshiping those who are on stage. We can worship lots of things, and Satan doesn't care what it is as long it is, as it is not The Lord God. His number one goal is to distract and pollute our worship. And Jesus says this in John chapter 8. He, he's responding to some Jewish people. And he says, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, talking about Satan, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's whole desire is to pollute the worship 
of God. And as Satan deceives, as he lies, people begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What do we do in our lives? What do we do with our worship? So often we take our worship and we worship the stuff, the things we can see rather than worshiping God. Finally, worship involves every part, every part of who we are. It's to be a whole experience. It's about glorifying God, but it's also about transforming us. Worship involves a transformation. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's our spiritual worship? Presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world. We've talked about that term world, the sinfulness in the world. Not the sphere, but everything that is opposed to God. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. We're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice in order to have our minds transformed. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, I said Jesus quoted these words from Deuteronomy. Jesus said this, quoting those words, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. You didn't leave anything out, Jesus. Love God, worship God with everything. Our love to God is to be demonstrated by every faculty of our bodies. Every joint, every muscle, every ligament, everything is to be worshiping Him. Warren Wiersbe gives this definition of worship. He says, worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotion, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. It's our whole body response to what God is and says and does. And sometimes that worship is caused through reading his word. Sometimes that response is caused by singing songs that are based on his word. Sometimes that response is based on what God has done in our own lives. The worship that comes out. But one of the most difficult things about worship is it demands a sacrifice. Worship demands sacrifice. 
Christ came and offered his life. He sacrificed his own life. As Paul wrote in Philippians 2, he became obedient to death, to die in our place so that we could have life anew through him. And in response to that, we're to be offering our bodies as living sacrifices to him. The 24 elders surrounding the throne, their only response is to go down and worship, to lay their thrones down, or lay their their crowns down because he's the only one that's worthy of a crown. We give ourselves over to God to use us however he desires. Worship is not meant to be constrained in these four walls from 1030 to whenever we get done in here. Worship's not meant to be in a building. Yes, we can worship in here, but we're to be worshiping in our lives, in all that we do. When we get up, when we wake up, when we get ready, as we travel, as we get in our vehicles, as we go to work or we go to school, as we go throughout our day, as, as we come home, even as we go to sleep at night, it can be done in worship. We could go through our whole day worshiping God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. What image? We're beholding Christ. We're being transformed into looking like Him from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we're experiencing God's glory in our worship, we're being transformed to become more and more like Him. It's the process of sanctification, that's what that's called, becoming more and more Christ-like. As we're beholding Him, worshiping Him, proclaiming truths about him. So my thought this week for you to ponder is this. Are there priorities in my life that keep me from worshiping God fully? Are there priorities in my life when I don't feel like worshiping God? What's going on there in my heart, in my mind, in my body, in my strength? What am I doing with all of those pieces of who I am? Am I worshiping God or am I focused on so many other things? Because our priority is to be worshiping God. Would you pray with me? Father, we... Know that this can be a struggle. God, I have experienced 
times of not feeling a heart of worship for you. God, we ask that you would help us as we start this new year to be focused on what priorities we need in our life. And God, maybe there are things that we need to take off of our plates. Maybe there are things we need to take out of our houses. Maybe there are things that we have placed as idols in our life in a position that no longer should be there. We realize we've made these a bigger priority than even you. God, give us the strength to tear down those idols. Give us the wisdom to know what things in our life we're placing above you. And God, lead us into a 24-7, 365 worship of you. God, we know it's not going to be perfect because we're fallen still. But God, continue to help us focus on your face, on worshiping you, so that we may continue to be more and more like you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.